listening to the Rent Roll Radio Show with Sterling Chapman. Hey, Rent Roll Radio listeners, welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Sterling Chapman, and today we're joined by N. Jurish. So, N., welcome to the show, and thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Sterling. I appreciate it. I love hopping on these podcasts. They're awesome. Good deal. So I asked Ian to join because Ian is, he's joining us from a family office and we've never had anybody on the show from a family office. So I just kind of wanted somebody to come in and shine some light on the mystery, explain kind of how they operate, what they do, what they're into and and how to work with them. So Ian, if you don't mind, just kind of start with telling us your personal story, how you came up, how you got into real estate and just kind of give us a rundown of it. No, absolutely. So I started off on the ground in sales. I started up selling trash service door-to-door back in Chicago and Virginia. And I, I kept finding out that I was making somebody else money and it murdered me inside. So as a sales rep, I was making my sales manager the company money. So I started my own sales company. And then we were working up and down the East Coast, had 140 kids knocking on doors, selling business to business, B to C. And it was great, but we were getting a one-time payment. So I was like, crap, this trash company keeps the money every month forever. So I started a trash company. It was the progression to get to the top, I guess. I also like doing things my way versus other people's way. But it was great. We built up four different trash recycling companies. One was one of the top 100 trash companies in the US. We built that up from scratch. I got the attention of uh, private equity firms. And they reached out and said, hey, we love what you guys did. We'd love to fund your next kind of companies. So then we moved into building trash recycling companies for private equity. And we had some very nice large exits. We also kind of got into pest control and security. It's kind of the same similar reoccurring revenue contract-related companies. You're getting that reoccurring monthly payment. It's on a contract. See that cash is coming in. But while doing that, we started investing in real estate passively. This is your general LP. I dabbled. I think my first investment with, I always say this is a company called Gelt, uh, Keith Wasserman out of LA. Like threw a hundred grand into it, knowing absolutely nothing. I was like, you know, I want to own an apartment complex. I have no idea what I'm doing, but I have plenty of money. Let's just throw a hundred grand into it and see how it goes. And it went great. And it was fun. Didn't really learn that much though. So I was like, you know what? I want to learn this. So I bought a bunch of single family homes and kind of learned that it's a nightmare unless you want to, like one of my neighbors, my neighborhood owns 800 single family homes and makes like six million a year. And he just a great time. But that's not what I wanted to do. I didn't want to have to constantly refinance, constantly have a team of guys going out all over the place. It's just so hands-on and so not at scale. And from building the trash company, I was like, it's not what I want to do. I want to build scale. And I was like, with multifamily, what we did in trash companies is we came in, we buy trash companies, and we do the same kind of value add. We come in, we try and increase our NOI or EBITDA. We'd improve management, improve processes, and lower expenses which is very much the same four things we do in multifamily. The difference being I'm renovating units versus using different type of trucks or collection containers and very similar matter of fact stuff. So I was like, it seems like a very similar process. Let me dive in. And we just dove headfirst in after our large exit. So I have a decent portfolio now. We kind of just dove in real hard and love what we had and have been kind of piling into it. And then I kind of just looked for niches in the market. The biggest kind of niche that was this gaping hole was three things. And it was for people who are kind of emerging managers. And when I say emerging, it could be someone that has three deals done and someone that has 4,000 doors, 5,000 doors. So the three biggest things we kind of found out that people had issues with were, one was earnest money, especially if you have 
multiple contracts at one time with a lot of cash because it's not earning for you. And a lot of syndicators don't always have tons of cash. And if they do have it, they're always putting it into deals. So they want the money working for them. Two, a lot of syndicators, you go to take on a bigger property or portfolio, a lot of them have the net worth or the experience, but sometimes bigger properties, they don't have that 40 to $100 million net worth and then liquid cash. No one has the liquid cash. So we always keep around five to six million liquid cash available. So we can qualify and help people knock out some of those bigger loans. And then the last thing was, as you do some of those bigger loans and you kind of step away from just doing the, hey, I have 300 investors at 50K, and you start taking institutional money, pref equity, participating in JV equity, one of those more institutional or larger rounds, or even like with another family office that says, hey, I'll come in and write the $7 million check to do an 80-20 split with you on your syndication. They want you to have your cash in. They want 10% of cash or 20% of cash. And that's net of fees. Like you can't have your acquisition fee or any of those kind of fees in there. So they want you to actually have some decent skin in the game. And a lot of sponsors and even larger groups don't have that cash, especially when they're doing four to five deals a year. And that could be $20 million. And if you do that for five years, I mean, most people don't have $100 million to plug into deals. So we said, what can we really do? And we started dabbling doing each one. We kind of came up with the program of, hey, you know what? Let's just do all three. Simple process. One, we'll provide your earnest money for you. Two, we'll guarantee your loan. And three, we'll bring the entire GP capital stack to the table for you guys. Let me work out a nice little JV structure for that. What do you take from this? I'm just curious. It's a very flexible number. It ranges from 10 to 40%. So I'm not usually out there asking for 40% for that by far. But when you get to some really, really, I always say we're a very entrepreneurial family office and it comes with risk reward. So there's certain deals out there that are super, super risky and people need to get a deal done. I'll throw out a number and that number was 40% one time we got that. Other times if the deal is super awesome and just phenomenal, I don't need to make 20% on it. I'll take 10% because it meets our IRR thresholds for total return that we're looking for on our cash. So, but usually it's that 20 to 30% number. So for 30% of a deal, you're putting up all the capital, which you're basically just coming in as the full limited partner? Not limited partner cash, no. So we're talking more, more advanced deals. So when you're looking at, let's just break a deal down. Let's just say you're getting a $100 million deal, right? You're going to get 78% LTV from Fannie. So that's $75 million. Then you're going to get 85 to 90% from PREF, participating PREF, or JV equity gets you to 99.2. Basically, just call it 90%, which you're going to get to, or 87%. We're going to come in and bring that additional last 10% of LTC to the deal. Got it. Or the last 12% of LTC. If it's 12% of LTC, we may not bring the full thing because that's a lot of money. We may ask you guys to bring a little bit, but it's really getting that last, it's a GP equity stack and it's not the 10% of GP equity. It's like more of like 10% LTC. It's really the amount of money that we're bringing to the table. So, so these are much larger deals. Not necessarily. I mean, Pref likes to look at a check that's $2 million. So, I mean, we could be bringing a million and a half dollars to the table. They also could be bringing $8 million to the table. They don't have to be huge. I mean, we're doing one right now that's a $30 million buy. Pref is 2.5 of it. And we're bringing $4.5 million in cash to the deal. What exactly is a family office? Can you define that for our listeners? A family office, very simply, is an investment vehicle or it's a structure of trusts 
that people invest out of. So you kind of look at your basic family offices. Once you kind of hit $100 million in net worth, you kind of join the family office club. It's just a fancy word. It's nothing special. Anybody can do the same kind of tax and trust structure that I do at a much smaller level. We also do the same thing at a billion or multi-billion dollar level as well. It basically just means that we're managing our family's money. And it can be different if you're a new generation, you're kind of building equity. So you can look at providing for the next third and fourth generation coming up. Or if you're a third or fourth multi-generational family office, you're looking more at wealth preservation. I already have to pay for 200 people and provide for them. How am I really kind of doing that and structuring my deals? So we're a younger family office. So we're much more in the uh, equity growth side. But each family office is different. But it's primarily just an investment vehicle to handle uh, internal cash management and growth. A lot of the older school multi-generational ones, like third and fourth generation, tend to have very strict standards of how they invest. They've been doing it for so long and they don't like to change. The biggest new thing now is there's so many younger family offices because there's so many tech startup CEOs and owners that have sold. There's so much new money. So there's new family offices and we're okay being more entrepreneurial versus more old school family offices are very kind of set in their ways. So there's definitely a change coming within the industry. Got it. For sure. So what kind of deal are you looking for? We're looking for your multifamily C plus to B plus assets. We don't do A class because you just can't hit the return metrics that you're looking for. Unless you're doing new construction, but then again, it's a different model there. Again, we're looking for usually 1980s and above, a little bit newer, C plus to B, try to make a solid B asset, some type of value added proposition. Usually at a minimum of 100 units to about 380s, kind of where we like to land the 200 to 350 is kind of that magic spot. Got it. Do y'all have any particular markets that y'all are looking in? We are very specific in the Southeast and Texas. We'll occasionally look at deals outside, but they have to be like phenomenal or some kind of a bigger play. Why did you pick that market? Weather, for one. I don't have to deal with snow and other things like that. Two, I mean, just look at COVID right now. I live up in Maryland, D.C. And I mean, look at New York. It's just opening movie theaters now. There's still some people who are not back at work. There's a county above me in Maryland that still has restaurants closed part-time. And it's just like in Florida and a bunch of the Southeast states in Texas, these states are open. We're open for business, which means my tenants can work and then therefore pay their rent. So it's less risk for me. We also look at is that's where the areas that people are moving to. So versus New York City, California, where people are leaving the state, Texas, Florida, and some of the other Southeastern states are continually growing. And you're seeing larger rent growth trends there versus other states. So... What have you learned along the way? What would you do differently if you had to start all over again? So, so many things. <laughs> um, people hate me for saying it, but don't invest in someone's first deal. I'm sorry to everybody who's doing their first deal. I've learned way too many hard lessons doing that. A couple other things are, if you are investing as an LP, don't be afraid to be in multiple deals at a smaller check size. I know a lot of people just like to write, this is when you get a decent amount of money on a family office side. A lot of family offices like to do like a $5 million minimum check size. And it just puts more risk in the play because yeah, you got a $5 million check size. That's what we want to invest. And it's less, less to track, less to manage. But if one of those deals doesn't perform and you break even and get out of in five years, like that's a big check to break even on. So I've kind of taken the approach of, hey, I don't mind writing a smaller multi-million dollar check 
because the cross multiple deals lowers my risk factors. And it's kind of a change for people in the family office space. Yeah. The first thing you always hear when you hear uh, family offices is minimum check size. And it's, it's typically pretty substantial. It is. Newer generation is a little different, but uh, old school is very much that. It's a lot to manage for us. I mean, we're managing assets and a variety of different investments from angel investing, loan programs, the companies we owned, LP investments. So the more things we're invested in, the more we have to track, the more we have to asset manage. So I, I do get the point of writing a larger check and only watching a fewer assets. What would you tell for somebody that was out there looking to kind of get started in this business? So you, you just mentioned that you won't invest in people's first deal. So I guess kind of what advice do you have for somebody looking to do their first deal? Two real main ways you can do that. So one, I think in this industry, people don't understand how important having an amazing sales skill set is. One, from being able to raise capital, because that is still and always be one of the hardest things to do. And then two, finding those deals, because you have to sell yourself and your ability to close. That's the biggest thing in today's market is people want a surety of close because there's so many people out there willing to pay more than things cost, but they're new, underwrite right, and they don't close because they can't get the appraisal, they can't raise the amount of cash. So you really have to be able to sell yourself to that broker on why you can close and why you're the best partner for it. And then two, to raise money. And that'll lead both of those into how to get your best start. One, find a phenomenal deal off market. Because if you find an absolutely phenomenal deal off market, people will come. I will come. I will say, thank you for finding that deal. Here's X percentage of the GP. Please go sit on the sidelines. You can participate. You can enjoy. Our group will run this deal. And you can learn. But it's not like I'm investing in your deal at that point. It's, it's our deal. You make money, you get reward for it, and you can learn. So it's, a, it's kind of a benefit for everybody. Or two, is what I've been telling a ton of people, is everyone's like, hey, I can raise 2 or $3 million. We're going to take down this asset, like will you KP it for us? And I'm like, no, it's your first deal. If you have the ability to raise 2 or $3 million real quickly, team up with an amazing sponsor or an amazing syndicator and say, hey, you know what? I can raise $3 million, find a great deal. You can keep your investors to yourself because you have apps like Syndication Pro where you don't have to share your investor base with other people. You can still bring them in. But bring them in and say, hey, we're going to bring $3 million in for X percentage of the GP and not like 5 or 10%, like a decent thing for it um, if it's a larger percent of the raise. And then get your skill set involved. Get a full deal under your belt. Say, hey, we're actually, actually participating in this deal. Be part of the asset management team. Spend time on site. Understand the renovation protocols and budgets and what you're doing. So that way, when you actually come talk to me and say, hey, we have this deal that we're two years into, we're doing this deal, do you want to invest? And I grill you on how you actually participated in that previous deal, why you made certain changes, you can actually speak to it. So I think that gains you a lot of credibility is getting one or two deals under your belt. And don't be afraid to take a smaller two percentage to get yourself into a deal. And when you get yourself in a deal, don't go around and say, ooh, I'm on a GP side. Like, ooh, I got two points. Like, no, nobody cares. Look at it as this is my opportunity to learn. Take that opportunity, be active, like spend your time, go to the site. Even if you're working another job, whatever it is, like go there on the weekend. A lot of properties are open on Saturdays. Construction still runs on Saturdays. Or take off on a Friday, go early and spend time with the renovation or your PM or the construction manager and really dive in hard and then know your numbers well too. So if you get the opportunity, take it. And it's it's up to you to make that opportunity what it is for you. Versus just being there. Because being there does you nothing, in my opinion. So 
what type of questions would you said grill them on their their role in the previous deal? What type of questions would you grill them on? And then what what advice would you give someone going into their first deal to make the best of that deal to be able to pass your Pepsi challenge on the other end of it and truly learn from it? You have to fully understand the entire process of the deal. So one's going to be in the finding the deal. It's why are you in this market? And then really specifically, why are you in the Houston itself? I love Houston, but set market areas. I also love Dallas, but it's set market areas. Other areas in Houston or Dallas, you couldn't pay me to invest in. So it's really know your location and know it well and be able to back up the data to why this particular sub-market has better rent growth than three miles away and why it's different. Two, the particular state, what are the trends coming in, coming out, and be able to speak to all this stuff. Don't just pull up a graph and say, here, on this slide deck, here's the graph. Like, I'm going to ask you details about it. Two, when you do your CapEx and renovation budget, we do renovations in order to drive NOI. Why is that renovation actually going to help you with your rent bump? Or is there something you're doing for look, design? Is it needed? So many syndicators out there just redo countertops to grad and do set models. And half the time you don't need that. You could have saved $3,000 a unit in costs and still gotten your rent bump. And that means you need less equity, which means it's less diluted and my RR goes up. So truly understanding the renovation process and why you're picking those particular types of renovations to drive NOI. Like what are you actually going to get results from? I think that's one of the biggest things for us. And especially going to your first deal or second deal, those are going to be tough questions to answer in particular because you don't actually have it in your belt. I mean, you look at workforce housing. Workforce housing, you're almost going to put better upgrades in than you are with a C-plus property because you're tenant-proofing your property. Like I'm more likely to put granite in my workforce housing units than I am in my C-plus property when I'm just going to refinish my countertops every time because workforce housing is going to take that 500-degree thing, put it on my countertop and ruin it. I mean... So I'm going to put in granite so it doesn't get ruined. So my cost to turn is so much less. Versus a C-plus property, they're a little bit of a better tenant and they may not actually ruin my countertops that bad. So it's a risk, it's a risk thing there. But it's kind of understanding things like that. Absolutely. So what is your target deal size? What do y'all like to partner on? Unit count has to be a minute of 100. I won't touch anything 100 just because I have to have the on-site management. It's kind of key for us. I don't. I mean, if you're like 95, like we can have a conversation, but 35, 65, 77, it's just not there for us. I need scale. Doing offsite property management is just rough. It's not the same. I mean, you can have a maintenance guy there as long as you have 50 units, but at the end of the day, it's, it's way better to have 100. But I really like the 200 to kind of 350 range. Kind of that 150 to 288, 290 is kind of the... The price point for us because when you go a little bit higher than that, I start competing with a little bit of a more institutional grade investor who's okay making a 12 to 14% return. Where I'm not, we want a much higher teens or very low 20 return. So it just means I lose deals because I'm not willing to pay the price that they are. So 100 to 350 is that range. I really like the 200 to kind of 380 range. It's our key spot. Did you start off there? Did you start investing in the smaller? kind of smaller unit counts? Never touch the small unit counts. Don't get me wrong. I own some small unit counts. I own 25% of a 34 unit in Las Vegas. And I own a very, very nice workforce housing complex in 
Macon, Georgia, which is phenomenal, actually. There's a, there's a play to that. It was It's a complete HUD contract. All the rents are fully paid and guaranteed. And it's just a coupon clip. I think we're making 16% return for everybody just year one walking in. So it's not a huge, massive IRR, but it's a coupon clip. So I, we made that one work. So how did you go about learning the multifamily business? You seem to be quite competent on the acumen side. And I'm just wondering, coming from the garbage industry, where did you go for all the education? I bought my way in. And so like I said earlier, bring something to the table, take yourself in, and then learn. So I wrote a big check. And I continue to write big Back in the day, I wrote bigger checks. And I said, with this check is coming, the fact that I'm going to be on the site more than you every day you're on that site. And I teamed up with some smaller operators in the beginning, just who were going to be a lot more active, who are going to be on site doing a lot more of the construction management themselves, had their own vertically integrated property management. So I could actually spend time with the property management teams because they own them. So I really just bought myself an education by being hands-on from day one. I mean, I didn't do it like full-time every single day on the property, but I spent quality time learning the renovation process, why we're doing it, what was driving NOI, why we're going to specific markets. And don't get me wrong, I haven't made a perfect investment every time, but definitely used what I had to my advantage to learn. Scale is next for us by far. So we're looking to raise our next fund to be about $60 million for doing the GP capital stack. It's really going to allow us to kind of team up with a, a new grade of sponsors who really want to grow with us. And I think we'll probably do a fund each year to continue growing with our emerging managers. From there, non-real estate aside, I've been having a, an absolute fun time on TikTok. I got 65,000 followers in the past three months on TikTok. Um, I, I day trade about a $4 million portfolio on um, stocks a day. So I just share my story on TikTok. So I, I do have a little bit of fun doing that on the side project. Awesome. So real quick, I want to go to our, our radio round where we just ask three quick questions to let our listeners get to know you a little better. I usually give people a heads up before the show about this, no. but you're my third interview in a row, so I think I just forgot. Totally so, fine. I can take it. I can take yeah, it. The, the first question is, is the reason I tell everybody, because this trips everybody up, but what's your favorite quote? Oh, God. Oh, God. So many. I have like a whole, my whole office is filled with quotes. I'm just trying to think of one of them on there. I'm just going to use Nike's. Nike's tags. Just do it. Just do it. Because literally, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've literally just jumped into the deep end and learned, learned how to swim. Not literally, but like in business. Like I just jumped in, learned how to swim. And if you don't do it, you'll never get anywhere. You just have to say that phrase, but just get your big boy pants on and go for it, man. So what's your favorite thing to do outside of work? I have three kids and I just like having fun with them. Like we have Nerf war fights. We (laughs) build, I probably work a solid 80, 90 hours a week, every single week. And that won't stop. So when I actually do get that downtime of like 45 minutes to an hour a day, I just drop my phone and say, Hey, like, let's just go have fun. Let's do it. You got me. My undivided attention. Let's just go have a blast. Awesome. Awesome. How do our listeners learn more about you, get in touch with you, follow you? Our website is jurichfamilyoffice.com, D-J-U-R-I-C familyoffice.com. I'm on Instagram and TikTok, also both D-J-U-R-I-C familyoffice.com. Feel free to send us an email. Mine's just ian at 
the church on the offside. Come, I won't say it any more times. I promise. <laughs> but I do respond to everything. If like I respond to so many Instagram DMs directly all the time, probably for like twenty minutes of the day. Even if it's a small, simple question, like I really do take the time to respond to stuff. So we're happy to have a conversation, learn about you. We can provide you value, or if I can just help you answer a question. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Ian. I really appreciate you joining us today. I know our listeners uh, learned a ton, and we, we look forward to keeping up with you. Thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in to the Rent Roll Radio Show brought to you by Crestworth Capital. We hope you enjoyed the show, and if you did, please hit the subscribe button and leave us a rating and review. You can also visit us at CrestworthCapital.com or RentRollRadio.com or follow us on Facebook at RentRollRadio or at CrestworthCapital. If you would like to reach us, feel free to shoot us an email at info at RentRollRadio.com or sterling at CrestworthCapital.com. We hope you come back next week to join us on some more of our journey. Until then, happy investing.